0: Testing, one, two, three, <laughs> here we go. Okay, we've come to the main message portion of our service now, so let's have our Bibles at the ready. Watching that video that was on just a couple minutes ago, uh, that Michelle Fleming, she was going to read a scripture and she picks up her phone. I, I still haven't gotten used to that. I'm I'm used to people quoting scripture and opening up their Bibles like I still do here, but uh Time marches on, I guess. Well, we're going to open our uh, Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, if you will, chapter 9, and uh, we'll start with prayer. Lord, we've come here this morning to be changed. So we know that you're in the process of transforming us. Help us to participate in that now. As you point out to us things you want us to learn today or to be reminded of, we pray that the Holy Spirit does his work. And. uh, Just uh, makes these uh, matters of the heart, not just of the the head or the brain, but help us all take it personally and take it to heart. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'd like to read uh, one of the most challenging passages that uh, is found in the Gospels. It's uh, conversations that Jesus has with several individuals, and they all have to do with the cost of following Jesus. In our society today, we tend to think of Christianity as something that we kind of agree with at one time in life and just kind of go on our merry way from there. And that's totally the opposite of what Jesus intended. Uh, Many people were coming to Jesus and suggested that they become followers of him or disciples of him. And uh, maybe because of what he saw in the reaction of some of the people who were following him, He could kind of sense that it wasn't really heartfelt and they weren't determined to really commit their lives totally to him. So he encounters a few individuals here and we're going to talk about their story. Luke 9 beginning in verse 57. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm sure that Jesus had a lot of people like this. You know, they kind of recognized him as a great teacher. They wanted to be his disciple, not necessarily believing that he was the son of God or the Messiah, but uh, they just wanted to join in because they saw good things happening. And so he says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head so this same story in the book of matthew says that this man was a scribe or in other words a teacher of the law he wasn't just a a common person but he was kind of a special person in that society religiously speaking now scribes were among amongst the wealthiest people wealthiest citizens in Jesus' time and in that culture, the Jewish culture. So this is a man who would have had fine things to wear and would have been used to a a better than average lifestyle. So I guess Jesus sensed this when the man approached him and he recognized right away what this man's problem may be if he became a follower of Jesus. I think that Jesus sensed this man being a scribe That if he truly became a follower of Jesus, that he was going to have some challenges to face. Because the lifestyle that he was certainly accustomed to would, for all intents and purposes, come to an end. If he was really going to become a heartfelt follower of Jesus. So that's why he said to this man, it's kind of a, a strange response, but he points out to this man, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, the man was not really considering the lifestyle that Jesus had. So Jesus pointed out to him very clearly what life was like for him during his ministry. It was a three and a half year ministry where he was just constantly traveling and uh, not having his own home, not knowing from day to day where food would come from. Jesus and His disciples were functionally homeless. They stayed in the homes of those who would let them in. Notice, uh, hold your place there, and in Luke chapter 10, just turn one page back, Luke 10 and beginning in verse 3, Jesus was going to send out the apostles later on their own and this is when he, uh, what he instructed them to do. Uh, Luke 10, verse 3, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. So, you know, the complete opposite of what we would tell our disciples to do or if we were sending our kids out you know before they left we'd say okay you got your coat you got your you got your wallet you got the money that i gave you you know you you sure you got it all ready? you know you're going to take care of yourself no complete opposite he sends them out with nothing do not greet anyone on the road verse 5 when you enter a house first say peace to this house And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in what house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you? For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So he sends them out with practically nothing. Why? Because he wanted them to have faith that God would provide whatever they needed, whether it was food, whether it was a place to sleep. And I'm sure that there were times where the disciples, along with Jesus, uh, slept outdoors, because in that town, no hospitality was offered to them. And they were used to that. And I'm sure that there were times where Jesus and the disciples went hungry for a while. You know, just because Jesus fed 5,000 with loaves and fishes doesn't mean that every night he performed a miracle. And, uh, you know, okay, guys, what what do you have tonight? Roast beef? Okay, you know, I'll mix some up here for you real quick. No, there were times where they literally went without. You know, we have homeless people in our society today who kind of scrimp and, and scrounge around for food to eat. So Jesus wanted them to learn the lesson of depending on God. And you know what? Uh, you're not called to a life of luxury here. This ministry that you're performing, it's not all blessings and, and you know, bounty. If you're really dedicated to this, there are going to be some rough times. There are going to be some challenges. So back here to uh, Luke chapter 9 now. So Jesus was asking this man who said, Hey, I think I'd like to be one of your disciples. Jesus was asking him, basically, Do you want to be homeless with me? So many would-be followers of Jesus expected that he would soon set up his kingdom. And they wanted to be in on the winning side. They wanted to get into the kingdom on the ground floor. So they expected Jesus to set up his kingdom now. To be the Messiah now and to, you know, uh, take over and to be in charge. And, And a lot of people said, hey, I want to get in on this. I think this is the guy who's going to turn this society upside down and set up his kingdom. So Jesus was able to determine their motives. He could kind of sense them. So he hit this guy where he lived and said, listen, this is the lifestyle that you're going to live if you follow me. Jesus wanted him to understand that to follow him is not to find earthly glory, it is to share in earthly suffering. And that's what Jesus and the disciples had to do from time to time. But well, what's that mean to us today? Every Christian should be willing to forsake all. And I think that's a big challenge for us in America. You know, when you talk about people during the war, you know, Nora shared with us the story of, of Chris Schimmick and what it was like to be in Germany after the war. And that's why it, it kind of hurt her when, you know, we go through the, the food line at the end of services and, you know, we take what we'd like and sometimes we might taste something and think, well, this isn't really my cup of tea, I'll just throw it in the trash. She would see that and she would have memories of what it was like after World War II. And nobody threw away anything. And you scoured the the dumps or or whatever just to find a a morsel of food that you can eat. So every Christian should be willing to forsake all, to give up that idol that stands in the way of following Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. You know, that's something that we need to think about do we follow Jesus wholeheartedly? Because he'll stand for nothing less. And in America, in our our culture, and in our way of, of thinking of things, I wonder sometimes if we do follow Jesus with the same wholehearted passion that he wants us to follow him with. You know, in the case of many Christians, it's kind of maybe a halfway commitment if it's even halfway. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll worship, I'll give my heart to the Lord as long as nothing else comes in the way that I may deem as more important. Well, through this passage, I think Jesus is trying to convince these people there is nothing more important than your relationship with me. Amen. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it requires a full commitment, a full commitment. I'm reminded of this uh, passage in Matthew chapter 13 beginning in verse 44. And I wonder sometimes if I have this same outlook on my relationship with Jesus. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44. He compares the kingdom of God or our relationship with Jesus in, in this respect. He says, Matthew 12, verse 44, Matthew 13, rather, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field because he wanted to possess that treasure. He wanted it to be his. Jesus is saying, that's the way you should view your relationship with God. It's the most important, that you would give up everything that you have to not only purchase that, But to own it, that relationship with God. It comes before everything else. Verse 45 again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So instead of taking for granted our relationship with God and kind of putting time in whenever we get a chance or whenever it's convenient, Jesus said, your relationship with me is the most important thing. Hopefully, you recognize it just like you would the perfect pearl or a treasure in a field, and you're willing to put everything else aside to pursue that relationship with him. That's what a disciple should look like. Okay, now back here to Luke chapter 9, because he talks to another individual who wants to be his disciple And uh, notice what Jesus has for this particular man. We're in Luke 9 and verse 59. Luke 9 and verse 59. So after talking to the first individual, here comes another. Because like I said, there were probably many on a daily basis who wanted to become a confirmed follower of Jesus or a disciple. He said to another man, follow me. He invited this individual to become a disciple. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, I think one of the most striking things ever out of Jesus' mouth, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So it's not so just our relationship with Jesus that we have to pursue with all of our might as a number one priority in our lives over anything else. This has to do with proclaiming the gospel, preaching the gospel, living the gospel. Now here's a man whose father was most likely about to die. He may have wanted to fulfill the tradition in that society where it was basically the responsibility of the oldest son to take care of all of the arrangements concerning the father's death. It would include bearing the father, uh, to be near the father in order to obtain the inheritance when that time came. Uh, so you wanted to kind of be around <laughs> and be in the area when, when death was about to come because your father was going to call you and, and give you your earthly inheritance here. Or maybe even to remain near the body of his father because the culture at that time, for many Jews, not all, but when the person died, they would kind of put the body in, in a tomb And after a while, not to get gross, once the body decomposed, what they would do is they'd go in and get the bones and put them in a box called an ossuary, and that was the tradition. And I think it was quite recently they found, somebody discovered a box in the Middle East, and it seemed to have a name on the outside. And I forget if they thought it was the bones of of Jesus or the bones of Mary or Joseph or one of those. But that was the custom of the time. So that was a whole drawn out process because it took about a year for the body to decompose and then you can get the bones and and put them in a box and a different type of burial. So the man wasn't saying, hey, listen, my dad just died. I got to go home, you know, take care of the funeral arrangements. No, this is a period of time that could have gone on for a lengthy uh, time. And Jesus knew, listen, my ministry is only going to last three and a half years. And if you're going to be gone for a year to two years, what good is that going to do? You've you got to realize time is of the essence. My earthly ministry isn't going to last that long. And if you're making excuses and telling me I've got to do this and I've got to do that, you know, you're not going to be of any good use to God in that sense. So Jesus wasn't criticizing this man for what he had in mind. He's just following the customs of the times. But once again, the lesson is, you know what? There's going to be other family members that can take care of these things. You need to follow me. I have to be the priority in your life if you want to be a disciple. Or if Jesus sensed that this man was very interested in his earthly inheritance from his father, well, of course, the lesson is our inheritance is in the future. It's heaven. It's, it's rulership with Jesus Christ. That's what our true inheritance is, and you've got to focus on that. So once again, how does that apply to us? Well, we need to make sure our priorities are where they should be. Jesus makes it clear that this request would have involved putting tradition or the disciples' own desires ahead of serving Jesus. And I wonder how often in our lives things try to get in the way of our participation with Jesus, in our participation with his church, Jesus said, listen, you got to get this. This has to be priority one in your life. You have agreed to become my disciple. I I haven't forced you into it. You're the one who came to me and said that you want me to be your savior. And I'm telling you, this is the change that has to take place in your life. Are you going to be fully committed to me, Jesus says. Fully committed to me. Yeah, you've got other commitments in your life, but I've got to be numero uno, number one. Is that the way it's going to be? So Jesus makes it clear that nothing can be put ahead of serving Jesus. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. He says, let the dead bury their dead. What does that mean? Well, the Bible teaches us that people in the world are dead to Christ, even though they're alive. How can they be dead and alive at the same time? Well, he's talking about spiritual death. If you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, you are spiritually dead. Remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were being taught by God and God said, okay, you're going to rely on me for your teaching." I'm going to teach you right from wrong. I'm going to teach you how to live. And he said, listen, of all the fruit uh, in the garden here, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that you eat of it, what did he say? You will die. die." Now they ate from the tree, and they didn't die physically, so he must have meant something else. He meant, when you take to yourself the authority for for deciding what's right and wrong instead of relying on me, you're spiritually going to die because you will put yourself out of relationship with me. You're no longer relying on me to teach you right from wrong. You're relying on yourself to decide whatever you think. So sure enough, by eating of that tree, taking on themselves the authority to decide what's right and wrong instead of leaning on God... They went out of relationship with God. They went and they hid from God. And ultimately, they got booted out of the Garden of Eden. Because God says, I'm not going to let you eat of the tree of life now that you're in rebellion against me and live forever. What sense does that make? So you no longer have access to the tree of life. I'm kicking you out. And he did. And he put angels there to, to keep them from coming back in, unfortunately. Unfortunately. So when you're spiritually dead, when you're not in relationship with God, you are called dead in the Bible. So that's why he said, "Let the dead, those who are not in relationship with me, those who are not Christians, let the spiritually dead bury their own physically dead." That's what he meant when he said, "Let the dead bury their dead." And it's kind of a hard approach, but Jesus is saying, "Listen, you got to understand You made a commitment to me. I must be number one in your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ. It's for life. It's for life, and it's your top priority. And I think we all have to search our own lives. But getting back to this uh, spiritually dead, it says in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, As for you, you were dead (laughs) in your transgressions and sins. So he's speaking to us. There was a time when we were not in relationship with God. We were just out there living in the world. And he says, you at that time were dead, spiritually speaking, in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, in other words, Satan, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. That's the priorities of those who are spiritually dead. It's not God. It's uh, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of, of life. That's what p- people who are spiritually dead seek. He says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Verse 4, "'But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us now alive.'" We're no longer spiritually dead, we've been made alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. "'And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus.'" So we've been saved by grace. Thanks, thanks be to God. So people in the world are dead to Christ. They do not hear his voice. They don't desire to follow him. Jesus is saying, let people who are not interested in me take care of the dead. Your duty is to follow me. And time is of the essence. Because I'm only going to be here for three and a half more years, and then I'm leaving. Now, of course, we're to honor our parents, but Jesus comes first. I mean, we're able to take care of my mother-in-law's funeral arrangements, and we're going to you know, be there for that memorial service. That's you know, not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, just make sure I am your priority above all other things, all other things. You know, there were individuals that Jesus called who just dropped everything that they were doing and walked with Him. Uh, We're told about several of the apostles. Matthew 4, let's turn there. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18. These are men who recognized who Jesus was and said, I must do this. I must follow him. Matthew 4, and verse 18, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. It just dropped it. They dropped what they were doing. They walked away from their business, which was a lucrative business. Why? Because they recognized that if this is the Messiah, this must be a priority for us. And they just dropped it and walked away. Read on a little bit further. Verse 21, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their fathers, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father. So they left the boat and they left their father and followed him. Well, I wonder how the father felt. Hey, guys, we got a business here. You can't just leave, guys. But they walked away. And this wasn't the first time that they met Jesus. I'm sure that they had heard of him and been aware of him but the time came for Jesus to start his earthly ministry. He was calling followers and they said, you know what, this has got to be a priority for us. Matthew as well was a tax collector. He walked away from what he was doing to be a follower of Jesus. The thing to which the the man who wanted to buy, uh, bury his father rather, was called, was of more importance than any earthly consideration. And for that time in that society, Jesus chose to require of that man, you know, when he said, let the dead bury the dead, he was challenging this man in the way Jesus knew he had to be challenged to make Jesus his priority. Then we come to the third individual back here to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. You know, there was a a radical change in my life. I don't know if I've ever shared it with you, but uh, when I was a young man, uh, let's see, I would have been about 23, I always had a dream to fly. I wanted to go into either the Air Force or the Navy and become a pilot. I mean, for years I had wanted to do that. Somebody asked me, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a pilot. And the opportunity came up for me. I was about 23, had just graduated from college, uh, Cleveland State University, had a degree. And that was back in the days of the draft. The draft was still going on and you had lottery numbers. And I found out what my lottery number was and it was like number eight (laughs) out of 365. So if they started calling, you know, who had lottery number number one, you were the first to go. Two years in the service, you were drafted. Uh, So I figured number eight, Man, it looks like I'm sure to be called. And uh, this was the time of the uh, Vietnam War. And some of my friends said to me, you know, you just graduated from college. Instead of just going in for two years in the army or whatever,